Hello, we're back. Balls of Magic, welcome back to the podcast, How to Be Queer. My name is Alex. I use they, them pronouns. And hi, I'm Kim. I use she, her pronouns. Welcome back. We're so excited. We It's been a hot second since we, we've we we've been with you. We're, we're on a schedule. Yeah. We are ready to go. We have, um, I know we announced last yes. episode that we have a partnership with Outfront Magazine in Denver, Colorado. It's very, very exciting. And it's a national magazine. It is. They're just headquartered in Denver. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So you know what's cool about Outfront Magazine? Tell me. They are, I believe, the oldest LGBTQ magazine in the country. 1976, right? Or 73. We'll have to ask Addison and Maggie, but okay. shout out to them. They're going to be like, way to go, guys. On your first one, you actually don't know what year it started and where your partner. Listen, we're a super highly, professional, highly produced podcast. We just bring kitchen table conversations about queerness and we're just honest and authentic and messy. It's yeah. Good. So we're in a partnership with Outfront Magazine. Um, they do have a new issue out right now, which I believe is about magic. It's This is the jam. Queer magic on um, issue on stands right now. And so if you if it is not at your local stand, you can always go to their website, Outfront mm-hmm. Magazine, and have it delivered to your house, click which is what we do. The, click the button and say, yes, I want this magazine to come to my house. It's honestly the photography that they do in it is just stunning. Gorgeous. Um, And then they've obviously got, and one of the things I like about them is they, on their website, they have like queer news Mm -hmm. that you can, you know, which is going to tie into what we're going to talk about today. But I have to say, like, it was interesting kind of taking a couple months away and thinking, Mm -hmm. because we've been doing this podcast for a while and our whole mission when we started at Mission, like we're so, we're so buttoned up, Alex. I love that. If you, if you, we really don't us, give a fuck. No, I'm so kidding. <laughs> if you've been with us a while, you'll you'll know the story that we were on vacation together, mm-hmm. and it was like horrible weather. Yeah, like weather where it was so cold and rainy, like you just didn't want to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so we got a bottle of wine, mm-hmm. and we started drinking it and talking about like our 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 history with queerness and all about our lives. We may have been a little tipsy. It's fine. It's fine. We, we were on vacation. We were on vacation. We weren't getting behind a car. We weren't driving anywhere. Yep. We and... were in bed. It was, you know, <laughs> looking out the window, watching watching the rain. We were snugly. Yeah. Was, watching TV. It was kind of, I mean, it was like, there wasn't a TV though, remember? That's right. Because it was the, the, it was the magic place. It, speaking of magic. It yep. was the magic place where you like weren't allowed to have any electronics. It was beautiful. And, and it had all the hot, it had all the hot, uh, the springs. Mm-hmm. Regardless, we kind of looked at each other and we we're like, I wonder what would be interesting to turn this into a podcast. And here we are, like almost two and a half years later, uh-huh. where we've had thousands of you following us, writing us, listening to us. And we thought, I guess I kind of thought, I'm like, I don't know that we need to do this anymore. And then oh. lo and behold, I made that statement and the universe kind of was like, what's wrong with you? Why Keep would you go I know this is, we are, we are... M- Magic in motion. I think we have an interesting story. We do. For sure. And I will say, I um, I don't talk, there's certain things that I don't, I, I don't feel that they're my story to share. And so I don't talk about, about them. But um, if you, if, if you've been listening around, you know that we, Alex and I are married. We have four kids together. Funny enough, one of them just, if you heard that, boop, that's the Snapchat, <laughs> otherwise known as mom, what are you doing? And I need something. Um. <laughs> But the oldest child is 17 Mm -hmm. 
and they're in their senior year of high school. And so with the senior of high school comes the senior essay, right? That they write yes. and they get something like 650 words to write this essay. That's going to you know be a part of their college applications. If that's what, um, 17 year old decides to do. And so he had me read his essay and, um, I'm still trying to process it, Mm -hmm. but his essay was about basically that he is a gay mom. Mm -hmm. And when he was younger, he lived with a lot of fear of what the world was going to do to his family. Yeah. How they were going to see, and, and and James, who's the 17-year-old, he tends to be like the more protective member of our family. Like he never wants us to be exposed to any kind of harm. That's like a big thing to him. And at times it has made him like kind of like almost have us retreat from mm-hmm. daily life because he's oh, he was always so scared what people were going to do, what they were going to say. And so his senior essay was about how it was really hard at first. He was like really sad that he had a gay mom. Yeah. And then as he's gotten older, he recognizes how proud he is Mm -hmm. that he has has gay parents Mm -hmm. and that it has made him a more tolerant and inclusive and wonderful human being. It was weird reading it. I mean, I was so happy, but I mean, of, of course it was hard to read that the beginning of his journey was sadness like, and, and, you know, from an age of like, I just want to be like everybody else, you know, yeah. and to realize like, wow, my family is not like anybody else's. And then now that he's, you know, in this time of life where he's facing, I'm not going to live with my family probably anymore. Yeah. And realizing how, and his, in his words was that just how wonderful his family is. Well, and how um, courageous and, and, and brave and vulnerable of him to write about that and, for you, I imagine it was like, yeah, I did it. I did it right. Like, there's a little, a little bit, of, bit of like, I told my truth, and now my kid is like, even more expanded. Yeah, I mean, of course, there's a lot of. I think most people look at your kids at this age, and and because you are coming onto this, it's the senior year. It's it's a weird thing, mm-hmm. right? Because you're kind of on this precipice of, are they ready to be off on their own? Yeah, have I done all the things? And then they ask you weird questions like you know, there was something random. He didn't like starting the dishwasher was like a challenge for him the other day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, or, you know, the basic things that they don't, they don't know still. And then realizing that the things that matter for him, he, he has, Yeah, um, I don't think I'm the only person that's helped him get there, but I'm a big part of, because he's with me, you know, all the time. And yeah. I feel like I've, you know, I always joke around, we're like peas and carrots. We go together. We've done his whole life together. Um, and so I feel really proud of where we are, but then there's also this, it's just, it's surreal. Like at some point I'm like, how did you go from a baby to this? Yeah. Because it feels like it went by in a, a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. Um but then I remember certain days and certain time periods, like, I don't know that I want to go back to seventh grader. Yeah. Like, that was a, those are the middle school years are rough years. Mm-hmm. And then early high school, because boy, did he, they just make stupid decisions sometimes. Yeah. Um, But anyway, it was interesting to read that when you're the subject of someone's college essay, let's hope he gets into a great college. I think, I think he will. It makes me think of the, um, you know, the, the difference between our, 
chosen gifts and then our um acquired gifts yeah like the ones that are just given to us Mm. because we are just who we are and then the things that we choose okay tell me more um like queerness you know Mm. you're you're get i think you're gifted with queerness I mean, I didn't always see it that no, way. No, no. And I didn't either. And I think that's why, for lack of a better word, I struggled for so long mm. is because I viewed it as something I needed to, needed to pull out of me. Mm. And, and and no matter what I did or what I said or wherever I was, it just, it, it followed me wherever I went. And I'm like, can, can you just leave me the, like, leave me alone? Mm-hmm. And then finally being like, you know what? You're actually my best fucking friend. Oh, that's interesting. Because now I get to live free and authentic in a way that I'd never experienced before. You know, I really, that really resonates with me and I'm going to tie it all together here and why I'm talking about James, the 17 year old. I I think I've said probably many times on this podcast that for a long, long, long period, probably, I think when I first started, I was probably like 17 or 18 when I probably started to realize like there, I thought there was something wrong with me because I didn't have the word queerness. I just had wrong this is supposed to feel right and it doesn't feel right it just Mm -hmm. everything feels wrong there's something wrong with me there's something wrong with me and so i think i just wanted i've said you know if you would have handed me a knife and told me that i could have cut the queerness out of me i would have done it yeah i would have cut whatever part of my body apart not to feel the way that i felt and it's been the large part of my adult life is unpacking and deprogramming that feeling of wrongness and recognizing that queerness is is actually what makes me pretty fucking magical. Yeah. And I think I think what makes us sad and angry is that someone told us to feel that way about who we are. I don't yeah. know. So. Yeah, I mean and and you know in the or some things there were lots of institutions that told me yeah. it was wrong. There was lots of portrayal of gay people that told me it was wrong. Um my family, and obviously they don't feel this way now. My family thought it was wrong. The the jokes, the innuendos, mm-hmm. and also that. And I, I I don't think I'm saying anything like necessarily new on this, but you know, whenever we we someone listens, sometimes you just need to hear it again. I was born into a body that was not stereotypically the way that gay women were portrayed, mm-hmm. right? Like I'm not I'm I'm not masculine at all. Um, I am a good softball and field hockey player. You are. You got a good arm. I have a. I can th- really throw a ball. Yeah, you put me to shame. I do. <laughs> what do you always say? You can only push and pull things. You can't throw I, things. I I push, pull, and lift things. That's all I do. I mean, you do the, you do those things really well. But I've seen you try to throw a ball. Oh, it's hilarious. It's I've never <laughs> I've never seen a more athletic person look more awkward. It's, I don't even understand how you make it look that bad. And like, and like the ball doesn't even go anywhere. I'm like, how did you, like, you have muscles for days. Like you think like 0% body fat. And like, what did, what did Juliet say the other day? You look like you have melons for biceps and you can't throw a ball. Now, hey, sports specificity. That's, I'm going to blame it on that. I had, <laughs> but it's throwing. Yeah. Throwing's a skill. Didn't work on that one. Okay. <laughs> I did work on that one, but I, I, I don't even know where we were going. I lost track when I started talking about melons on your you're arms. Born, you're not born into a f- <laughs> melons. We <laughs> Again, it's a highly produced professional podcast. That's why we're so popular. Um, 
you were saying you weren't born into a body because you're not masculine looking. Yes, and, cetera, and like that's like what everybody thought of of queerness, but instead I was like, you know, born into like this body that looked like, you know, you're the homecoming queen. I, I know, isn't that weird? Mm-hmm. It's really weird to think of that. I'm like, well, yes, but no. And some, I mean, it's sometimes I have people from high school that have found this podcast, and they're so kind. I've gotten a lot of kind messages. You know, for people being like, oh my gosh, I really love your podcast. And I'm like, I am terrified to go back to like where I grew up. I am so scared. I'm going to run into people there and be like, aren't you gay? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Kind of a big way. I was just too scared to tell anybody. Mm-hmm. You're here now. I am here now. But to segue this a little bit, yeah. right? So like, because and I get it because you well tell tell everybody all the things that th- this month is. It's October. Yeah, October is a big month. It's almost as queer as June. That's how I feel. <laughs> what I said on TikTok today. Um, but it's LGBTQ History Month. Um, I believe the twenty first or twenty second. There's uh, like the third Wednesday or something like that in October is is International Pronouns Day, and then it is also National Coming Out Month. Oh my goodness! And Domestic Abuse Survivor Month and Mental uh, Wellness Month. So, which which one do you want to talk about today? Pronouns coming out. Oh, man, I mean, we could all tie it together, but I mean, we could go to the pronouns. We just, you know, we can cut, t- t- talk about coming out. I guess. Okay. How many times did you come out? Every day. But you have like a couple coming out stories. Yeah, I um. I think I've kind of expanded my or detailed my my coming out that I came out to myself, probably that knowingness without knowing, of course, when I was five, being like, yeah, there's something here. And then in high school, middle school, middle school, for sure, being like hearing my friends giggle about boyfriends and in high school, even being like, hey, I love dick. And I'm like, yeah, I don't. I mean, like Somebody I just, in high school said to you that they loved Dick. I think, well, that was like the, the, not specifically that, but just okay. like, that was, the, the, that was the sentiment. Was, right. It was like, I just kept wondering, like, what is wrong with me? Like, I don't love that at all. And I, sh- I'm supposed to. And, and then I just thought, well, I guess I'm just a person that doesn't, I'm I'm told myself I was straight, but I just don't like doing certain things, and that's okay. It just it I the things that we tell ourselves to make try to make sense of what we don't know. So, uh, and then in once I left the house, once I I went once I went to college, my world really because I think college obviously opens up a person's world in lots of ways, meeting all sorts of different people, and being like. Oh, Okay. And then that's when my gender started to like bubble back up to the surface, like, hello, um, started performing in drag and um, came out as gay to my parents. How'd that go? Um, my dad said he thought maybe one of my cousins was gay. And then I was like, I was like, all right, I don't know where that came from. And then um, you're talking about me, not my cousin, you know, the nervousness that was probably just like Mm -hmm. blurred something out. Yeah. Yeah. My um, love you, mom. Uh, But my mom also said, uh, I don't want you to have a hard life. And Mm -hmm. my stepdad just completely said, no, um, you're no, you're not. Because your stepdad knows you better than you know yourself. Right. 
it said it was a phase. And so, yeah. And so at the time, like, you know, I was coming out of this place in my life where I was really trying to establish myself of like, this is who I am. And, you know, you've been told to trust adults your whole life. And then these adults tell you who who to be and who, and, and who you are. And I'm like, yeah, you know, they're right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not that. And, um, so I went back in the closet and, um, and then I came out again, uh, when I was 40, like yeah. got language. And I was like, you know what? F- basically like my spirit was kind of like, fuck all of you. I'm going to not listen to, to any of you because you're actually causing a lot of harm to me and I'm hurting and I need to, I need to figure this out on my own. Yeah. Um, and then you were, of course, the person who was like, go be you, Alex. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> but you I knew me you before too. I was Alex, too. But anyway. I did know you before you were Alex. And um, I think now I've known you longer as Alex than I knew you as the name you went by before. Mm-hmm. And that persona that you had put on, the person before Alex, I was always like, that person's a fucking mess. <laughs> Pretty much. And like, and then once you were like, no, 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 like, I'm going to be real with you and who I'm, I'm like, oh, well, I, I freaking adore this person. Yeah. And this is, that was you the whole time. Yeah. I think I became a little bit obsessed with, with vulnerability. Like I have to just keep pulling. And I think athletics had a lot to do with that. Tell me more. Um, That I could, I trained my body in a way to feel pain that, I somehow was able to then be emotionally vulnerable as as well, even though I that there definitely been times where I have not been, but that's what always was always the vision. Like I want to really put myself out there, even if I totally fuck everything up. I just want to find the truth. Yeah, I mean, we 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 could do like seventeen thousand podcasts on just the the vulnerability and and perfectionism. Um, and how those how those things, especially for for queer folks, yeah. it, it, it hits it hits different. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my. I've had multiple coming outs, like most queer people have, but one of them that was I don't actually talk about this one a lot. And um, we've been Alex and I've been kind of we've been going back and forth. Like, are we going to trying to write and to to yeah. basically journal what our experiences have been? And maybe someday it's going to be an accompaniment to this podcast or who knows what it would be. Um, but I I struggle sometimes with sharing some of these stories. And so sometimes writing them is a is is a I can get exhausted by it mm-hmm. because it is so vulnerable. Um, but one of the the first time I ever remember knowing what I was and saying what I was, I was um 19 years old. And it seems weird, like, oh my gosh, you didn't know until you were 19. And I'll be honest with you, it didn't even occur to me to say that that it was queerness or gayness or lesbian or anything like that going on. I felt I had no representation of gay women and I or gay men or gay anything mm-hmm. other than like this deviant yeah. um, sort of behavior, which yeah. I was like, well, I'm not deviant. Like, yeah. <laughs> Good kid. I just want some love. I just want some love. And so it wasn't until when I went to, so when I was in college, I had a friend and um, this friend was, I mean, I would describe her almost as like, and I think she would have described herself this way. She was like a trisexual. Like she would try anything. 
And she was very um, free and open with her body. And she was an actress. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we might describe her as like a wild, wild child okay. kind of kind of per- persona. And um, she was involved with someone who was uh, much older, a woman who was much older. And it's a little thunk not because the woman that she was involved with was in a position of power and authority mm-hmm. over my friend. And so there's layers to that relationship where I was like, what, what, what you're, you're having sex with who? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it was two women having sex together. And when she started telling us the story, it was literally like I lit on fire. Yeah. And in a way where I'm like, I guess there's always that bit of like voyeurism or tabooness, but I'm like, oh my God. And it was like in a flash, everything kind of made sense. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I told this friend basically, and she, she kind of looked at me and she was like, I'll never forget when she said this to me. Cause I, I told her, I said, I, I'm thinking a lot about women in sexual scenarios, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's what I'm thinking about. And I realize now when I was in intimate relationships with men, I would, my mind was someplace else. Yeah. Um, which I feel really bad about, but I, I tried to be as kind and I tried really, really hard to be hetero. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I told her, I said, I, I think I might be gay. And she kind of like giggled and looked at me and she was like, honey, everybody's a little bit gay. And that was like the end of the conversation. Yeah, that was it. And so that's the first time I remember ever telling somebody at 19, I was like, I think I might be gay. And I just wasn't ready at that point to take it anyplace else. And that was it. Okay. I know. And then fast, we, I mean, I guess you've shared before, if if you want to go into fast forward in your twenties. Yeah. I mean, when, when I think over the course of, uh, you know, I think what, after I had told my friend when, when I was young, I think because of the world I was living in, I felt at the time that pursuing my true self yeah. was not on the table. Like it was just not, it was not possible. Yeah. I couldn't even imagine living in the family that I had at that time. Mm-hmm. There was there was no way there was no room for it and and my parents and I kind of talked about that where they've said that too like there would have been no space there was no space for me yeah um, and I remember my dad telling me that he said when I was a kid the thought had occurred to him that I may have been gay and he kind of like ran the other way from it like he didn't even want to think about it didn't want to deal with it yeah and so I think my my family did the best that they could with the situation that you know that they were in which yeah, was yeah the level of awareness they the had level the awareness that they had at this time was was nothing mm-hmm. um and so i i i knew that between friends between family between religion between everything i lived in like you you better just stamp that down and so i did for a really long time um and it made me um i think people would have looked at me and thought i was really happy um I think as a kid growing up in the situations I did, I never really learned to do anything other than take care and make other people around me comfortable. Mm-hmm. And coming out and telling people who you are was going to make a lot of people really uncomfortable. Yeah. And it did. It was really hard. Like the years that I spent um coming out to people, 
I got everything from how could you have never told me? Um, I don't understand, but you've been with men. You, you know, I mean, you you listed all the things and how I had to justify who I knew I was to other people for their comfort was exhausting. All all coming from the their perspective of the heteronormative, you need to be this instead. Well, or that I owed them an explanation. Yeah. That somehow it was about trust with them. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This was always about trust with myself. Yeah. And no, I didn't trust you. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't trust you that you would have held my truth with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I lost lost some people along the way of that um those years. And that's okay. I mean, maybe at some point they won't be lost to me, or maybe they will. I don't know. I'll tell you what though, ne- I should have not. Uh, how, how do I say, how do I want to say this? Depending on where a person is in their own life, mm-hmm. depending on how real and honest they've been able to get with themselves when faced with someone who is going to do it, you can really bring out a lot of discomfort in them. And then they and I know because I've been that person, yeah. right? Um, and I definitely had people that said and did horrible things yeah. because I was like a punchline for them. Um, and that's hard. I had we had a friend just the other day that we went out and had drinks with, and and she was telling me about how there were a lot of a lot of people talking about the fact that I had come out and were making jokes, and she was like that, and her and her husband were like, "That's actually not okay that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. Like someone's life is not a punchline." Mm-hmm. I think it just yeah, and the, and the the sadness that that people think it's okay are justifying making fun of someone else because of where they are. Like it just doesn't, it's horrible. Yeah. And, and I've been that person before, Yeah, you know, I think we, I think we all have, and you, hopefully you, you, you'd learn better and you do better and you get more comfortable with yeah. yourself. Um, Cause I know I've said things, you know, about when I was hurting, I'm like, well, I'm just going to bleed out on someone else because <laughs> It's harder to deal with your own crap. Yeah. Uh, but now I I obviously it's been a long time since I've been out now. Um, met you and you know, there's there's so many cliches about what happens when you meet someone that you feel something for that you just can't you can't deny no matter what you were gonna do. It would have been like cutting oxygen off to me. Like I could there was no way I could deny what I felt for you. Yeah. I think that's um even this uh, expresses how authenticity is a magnet, right? And even I can think back to times in my life where I'm like, how did I get to where I am? Because even when I didn't know, I, on some level, I was always searching for some kind of connection. Mm. And I wasn't going to know what it was until I felt it. And um, which is just makes me think that you know, the energy of the universe, God, whatever you want to think, angels, spirits, that we are all connected to each other. And I think on that note with people making fun of other people for being gay or for being like, if if they were had a, the awareness to understand that we're all actually really connected to each other and that they create disconnection mm-hmm. when they do that and that they're really missing an opportunity to 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 be a part of something that's bigger than themselves, which I think is part of the journey of being human. You know, and it's 
So we had this conversation with Juliet, our 14 year old the other day, because <laughs> she had um, a cis uh, woman, cis straight woman asking her, well, if your mom's a lesbian, but she's married to someone that's non-binary, I don't understand how that works. And was essentially putting Juliet into a situation where she's having to explain her own mother's sexuality, which is, I just would love all my allies out there to think about how you would feel if someone came to your kid and asked your kid to explain why you're straight. Uh-huh. Um, we would never do that, but somehow it felt okay to ask my kid to explain her mother's sexuality. Um, there's just, this is the hardest part I think for, for sometimes for being queer, because for the most part, our experience is, is, is beautiful and wonderful, but the reasons why we, we actually have to talk about queer history. We have to sometimes name the struggle is because we're always still fighting for our existence. Yeah. Fucking shit. Yeah. And that's why, you know, even like to bring, to bring it back to Outfront Magazine, that's why their magazine matters, right? Mm -hmm. Is is for us to have ownership of our image and stories and words and not to have it told through a cis perspective. But what I would just always encourage people to think about is think of how many evasive questions you think that you can ask a queer person that you would never ask a straight person. Mm -hmm. You would never ask them to defend their attraction to someone. Yeah. But yet you do it constantly. It happens constantly to queer people that we have to explain our ourselves, our desires, our there's you know every little part of us. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the question for allies is: if you are doing that, you got some stuff to unpack there, because somehow you've been programmed to think that our lives are deemed accepted to pick apart. Mm -hmm. And what may have given you that thought process? Yeah. You know, I wrote a, um, I recently wrote a, a presentation about mindset for, for work. And I um, kind of connected to um, the eight pillars of wellness kind of fuel our mindset and um, our, our mindset being our perspective of, of the world. And, you know, there's a, a person not, I, keep a distance for my own emotional safety, but who after years continues to misgender me. And I guess I'm connecting this because it's like, the, then I go to um, the allyship and, and, in, and, and in the fitness world as a coach and as a trainer, we have these things called smart goals, right? And probably in lots, well, I shouldn't say only fitness, yeah. of course, but the smart goal. And I'm like, so when do we apply that to this work? When do we give someone a smart goal be like all right cool your coworker just came out we're going to give you this amount of time with these specific things that you need to do so you don't continue to cause harm right and not a discussion it's not optional it's just if you do it cool if you engage in it great if you don't you're gone mm -hmm. and and it gets in you know i can see people are like oh my god i'm like but this is you know how many how many times do I have to correct someone? And then how long do I, does it, I shouldn't say, I mean, it's for all of us or how, how long does it go before? Cause at this point I don't even engage anymore. Right. I don't correct her. I don't, I avoid her. I don't engage with her specifically because she has shown me she is not a safe person. And so 
if you're in these spaces, like that's a huge problem. And yeah. You know, I think we'll talk about allyship just a, a little bit. And if you're, if you've been a longtime listener of this podcast, you, you will know that I talk about this a lot. Yeah. That there is a wheel of privilege and power. And in the center of that wheel is cisgender. Yeah. Now, typically it's going to be cisgender male, yeah. white male that is going to still have most of the power and privilege in there. White females, you're you're not far behind. Yeah. Um, cisgender, heteronormative. And there's lots of different things on the wheel of power and privilege, but essentially like those are like your the color of your skin, your gender identity, um, and your straightness, right? Like those are some of the big ones that are going to give you a lot of, of power and privilege. And it also gives you a shit ton of entitlement, mm-hmm. right? Because for the most part, because you hold that power and privilege, you don't have a ton of people that are going to check you, right? Because they're in a more vulnerable situation than you are. Yeah. That's why it's so important for people that are in those positions to do things like pronouns, to do mm-hmm. things like centering of a queer experience of 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 respecting what that is but the problem is most some not sorry not all but a lot of people that are in that center of power and privilege they are centered by or surrounded by other people that are in that center of power and privilege yeah and so you almost start to look at anything that falls out of it in this dehumanized way yeah. Right. That that life doesn't hold the same amount of value because it doesn't hold the same amount of power. Mm-hmm. And then you end up doing things that are dehumanizing. Like, I'm not going to bother to get your pronouns right because there's nobody that's going to hold me accountable to doing it. And I don't see your life as the same value as mine. So it's optional for me to respect it. Yeah. That's wrong. Yeah. It, yeah. And I'm like, I'm at this point where I'm like, over and over again, it's been like, give them time, give them time, give them time. And I'm like, how long, how much time do you have to give? Right. And and I'm like, people need to know that the workplace is a minefield for a trans and non-binary person. Like, unless there are systems and people in place who are actively supporting, it is, it is exhausting. And there that's there's a reason why their turnover rate is really high there's a reason why you know trans people don't stay in jobs for for, for very long like it's not that we're not it's because we covertly get pushed out and we're so exhausted explaining ourselves that we're like i don't want to do this anymore and it's like it's just a pronoun it's just someone's like you're saying life yeah my entire life and saying you don't you don't matter you actually don't matter to us. That's what it's really saying. Well, and it's also saying I, your life doesn't hold the same value as mine. So my comfort is more important than your existence. Mm-hmm. And that 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 programming of classification of 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 human beings you see throughout history. Like yeah. it's not it's horrible what what happens, but it's not it's not unique to trans or non-binary identity, right? right? It happens, right. especially with people of color. It happens with people of disability. It happens. I mean, it's, you even think about, this was like one of the craziest things that I worked on over maybe like a, it was, this is about two years ago, but coverage of mass shootings. Okay. So there was a, the, the, the coverage that media did, we had a horrible mass shooting in Denver that was at a tattoo parlor. Um, I think that's what you still call it, right? I think so. I hope I'm not calling it the wrong thing. I apologize if I am. And studio, a studio, 
Par- I don't know. Yeah. Um, I might be showing my Gen X age <laughs> that I'm calling it a tattoo parlor. Like okay. it's, I feel like I just like, it's like a Western saloon, right? Like that doesn't sound right coming out of my mouth, but tattoo maybe it's right. shop. a tattoo shop. Okay. There, okay. <laughs> so this, this, this place, they had a horrific mass shooting. It got a fraction of the coverage of media as other shootings. And it's because people have a tendency to see those with tattoos or piercings or any type of physical appearance that isn't going to clock as like white, straight, normal, (laughs) that their bodies were worth less. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't get the same coverage. So it's that dehumanization and classification of the way that we physically show up in our bodies. It's, it's everywhere. It just is worse (laughs) for some bodies than others. Yeah. I mean, particularly if you're a black trans woman, like right we need to we need to stand in solidarity with our with our brothers and sisters in our queer community yeah i mean black trans women uh, what got are speaking of history mm-hmm. they are the ones that rocked out history yeah and it's so speaking of history i i think it was christina when she was on with us uh-huh. had mentioned this book that she was reading great lgbtq speeches empowering voices that engage and inspire by peter um, there's a foreword by Peter Tatchell, and then the author of the book is Taya. Um, I'm sorry, I'm going to pronounce your name wrong. Uglo, okay, or Uglo. I'm not sure. U G L O W. And you know, I'm. This is so fun because even as a queer person, yeah, there's so many voices in here that even I don't know. Yeah. Right, and so I highly recommend you go and get this book because it's I it's and it's also really pretty the way that it's done. Mm-hmm. Um but this was one of my favorite quotes by Sally Miller Gerhart. To be a lesbian is to be identified not by men or by society made by men, but by me, by a woman. It's like fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah, Sally Miller Gerhart, <laughs> American academic sci-fi writer and gay rights activist. She's was born in 1931 and sadly passed away in uh, 2021. So yeah, wrap that book. Great LGBTQ speeches, Taya Uglow, empowering voices that engage and inspire. Yes. Just because, yeah. So now that we talked about like all the heavy shit, what we look is that we're going to end on like, because I always love when we talk about queer shit we're watching. Oh, Okay. Do you remember the show that we watched over the summer, which was the dating show with all the lesbians? Yes. And we like binged watched. Yeah. I follow one of the, um, one of the women on Instagram. I forget which one. It was queer ultimatum on Netflix. Yes. So here's what I loved about it and why I think everybody should watch it. So, you know, the, the, um, what is it like the the stereotype that like when two lesbians meet and then like a week later they live together and then they have like a cat. <laughs> yeah. And they, they wear like flannel and drink like and they spice it. coffee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then basically live the, the the existence we do, which is like, we don't actually want to leave our house. We, we love to sit on our sofa. Are you and saying watch that Netflix? we're doing that? <laughs> oh, sweetie. I, know. I feel like our social life is. 
it's pretty yeah you would think we would be super popular i mean the wiser and older we get and more aware the less we like people and the more we're sitting on our sofa watching queer ultimatums (laughs) than we are going out and engaging with the world let's be honest Uh, let's be honest let's be honest okay so what i loved about this show though is that like all so there if you haven't seen queer ultimatum right it's like these couples and then they're like one of them wants to get married and one of them doesn't and so they break them up and then they pick like who they want to go and have a fake marriage with for like 30 days or something like this. And so the, it's I'm like, this is the ultimate lesbian experience because all of them are going to couple up and be like, I'm in love after like two days. Oh my gosh. I'm like, let's just, first of all, let's break down. If one of you wants to get married and the other one doesn't, maybe you should break up. I, right? I'm like, I feel like that should probably be your sign. Like one of you is clearly not ready and that's okay. But then to put you in a fake relationship and then film all of it. Yeah. Yeah. They romanticize the, the, the chaos and the tornadoes. Do you, do you remember though, when we watched the one couple, it was like Xander yeah, and then someone else and they, they have cameras in the bedrooms. Remember when we were watching this mm-hmm. and you saw like the sheets rumbling around and I'm like, they're, doing it and there's a camera on them yeah and we noticed that um it was a queer obviously a queer show and they showed more in that show than they would have probably with if it was straight people yeah and i'm like and that's another nuance of how over queer people are over sexualized yeah let's let's hold the camera on the bed of them having sex yeah and amplify that queer people are overly sexual i mean i'm trying to think of like when you what what other pretend that straight people are not anyway what oh no queer people are are, highly highly produced podcast what is like a straight dating because we tend not to watch straight dating shows because we get grossed out (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i mean there's the ultimatum there's with straight I love like love love is blind we do watch love is blind did they show them in bedrooms together eventually not, i remember not like not like queer ultimatum did i feel like there was a couple on love is blind that like i just remember them being in a in a in like the what is it like the fantasy vacation suite that they go on and i was like this is getting spicy okay so maybe they do a little bit, but I did feel like with queer ultimatum, I'm like, oh, we go, we're just setting up shop in the bedroom with the cameras. Yeah, I feel like in the in the straight ones, it's like this really performative, like you know, eh, like this really certain angles of the camera, right? And then in the in the queer shows, it's like, no, this is like legit, like real They're sex, really, like they, yeah, like riding on top of each other, like it was legit. I'm like, that's real. What they are doing right now is real. And you're holding the camera on for 20 extra seconds just to make everybody's body parts go beep. I was going to say, did your body parts go beep? I would look, I looked over you like, <laughs> was that, is that like your version of like queer porn was I queer mean- ultimatum? Wait, 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 what? Because I feel like most porn is is not actually for queer people. No. Right. It's like for me, it's for men because it's I mean, I've I, I can't say I've spent a lot of time on queer porn. 
maybe somebody is going to write in like a suggestion of like where you can get, we should ask Outfront Magazine because they probably oh, know totally. like where to get good porn. But I would say anytime I've seen like porn where it has two women in it, I'm like, why is there all of a sudden a man and he's taking his penis out and he's <laughs> like, hey, I'm here. No, you don't belong in that. Right? It's like it's yeah. weird. Honestly, I think anytime I see two queer people, um, two women or two assigned, oh man, how do I describe this? Um, get, I don't know how many people are involved in this little just, menage a trois we're talking about. I, I guess I'll just I'll sexuality just do a, soup. A, yeah, I'll just do like a like a blanket statement of like queerness. When I see queer people kissing, or it's it's like you just don't get to see it. And it's more like, oh, cool. Like, I feel that way too. And you do get, for lack of a better word, aroused, but it's just because you don't really. And then how desensitized we are to like straight people. Straight, right. Because yeah. straight, straightness is everywhere. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's quote unquote normal. But then you see queerness and you're like, oh, it's so beautiful. And now I'm like, it's joy, right? Yeah. You're like turned on because you actually feel a lot of joy. Well, and yeah, I mean, I will say the first time I went to like, I think, I don't know if I've ever told this story in here before, but you remember the movie Top Gun? Yeah. Okay. Like the, the not like all the Maverick remakes where Tom Cruise, like and it, it's weird to me that Tom Cruise doesn't look any different. Oh my gosh. It's weird. That's a whole other issue. Oh, I wonder if like with Scientology, like there's some type of like body replacement alien thing, mm -hmm. thing going on with him. Cause I used to love him. And now I'm like, bruh, he's lost his mind and he looks a little weird to me. Do you ever see the, um, the interview with Matt Damon and when he was talking about working with Tom Cruise? <laughs> no, but now I want to. <laughs> I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to get it like all the details wrong. But, 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 but yeah, basically he says, um, they were doing this movie together and Matt goes, are you going to, you know, where's your stunt double? And Tom's like, Oh no, I'm doing this myself. That. So Matt's like, I'm watching this guy run laps for like hours around the building. And, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to jump this thing. And, and, and even the stunt guys were like, Tom, you can't, you can't do this. This is too, too dangerous. And Tom's like, I'm doing it. <laughs> it's just Matt was just kind of like, when the stunt guys say, say no, we're not doing it and you're not doing it. Maybe you should not do it. <laughs> but see, I think something has happened to Tom Cruise. Oh, yeah. Like I, I and this is listen, you, people celebrate your religion, however you want to do it. I know he's a Scientologist. I know it's definitely a little out there in, in some of the, the beliefs, but I'm like, oh, did L. Ron Hubbard like come back, harvest his organs, put himself in Tom's body? Like I have this whole narrative in my head that it's like not the same to Tom Cruise I was like in love with as a kid. If you're thinking of it, it's possible. Do you think so? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that L. Ron Hubbard, because isn't his body on ice somewhere? Oh, I, I didn't know that part. I don't know. If, if Listeners, if you know, like write in, write in and tell me like what happened to L. Ron Hubbard's body. And is it possible that he's been transferred into Tom Cruise's? And that's why he's gotten so weird over the last couple of years. Yeah. What's that like laser printing thing? The 3D? Like the 3D? I swear he has a new face from like, See? like 3D printing. <laughs> it's not just me that thinks that, but. Okay, to get us back on, this is why y'all tune in because you want to sit at our kitchen table with us. And it's gotten really bad since we stopped socializing with so many people. Because now, like, I don't have the outside world to check me and be like, Kim, you are, that's weird. Because you'll go along with it. You'll be like, oh, yeah, he's a 3D printer. 
<laughs> I'll go anywhere with you. <laughs> I might need to, to go out with people more anyway. Um, you know, no, no, no. So, hang out oh, more so, queer people. so Tom Cruise, before he was taken over by L. Ron Hubbard, mm-hmm. I remember Top Gun and my dad took me to see it. Okay. Would you believe he covered my eyes during the take my breath away sex scene? I know. I'm like, so it wasn't just queer sex that nobody wanted to talk about in my house. It was like sex at all was like, don't acknowledge that we are sexual beings. I know. And I still remember like, you know, doing the dance with his hands over my face, like what's happening? Yeah. And I've, like vividly remember the one part I did see was when they were kissing and their tongues touched. Yeah. I didn't know what French kissing was. Yeah. And I was like, what are they doing? Yeah. And then the first time I, I got French kissed, I immediately broke up with the boy and told him there was something wrong with him. <laughs> so I didn't He's know like, what it was. I just thought that that's what I was supposed to do. <laughs> Cause no. Tom Cruise showed me that. It was horrible, Alex. I was at Hershey Park. And yeah. He was like, "Do you want to go on a Ferris wheel? Why fair the Ferris wheel?" And I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> the next thing I know, this kid puts his tongue in my mouth, and I was like, "You are subversive, and there's something wrong with you." And I'm breaking up with you immediately. I never spoke to the kid again. So I'm telling you, there's some kid like maybe still in Central Pennsylvania. I'm, I still even remember his name. I'm not going to say it, but I, do you think he's still walking around like with like some trauma that like he can't actually he doesn't know how to french kiss because the first girl he french kiss was like you're a subversive no that's wrong what you just did and i'm gonna say i was like 13 or 14 i know i had i remember the first time someone french kissed me too it was well first i did and um it was the neighbor boy and I just was, he, he was older than me. And I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. And this feels gross. And why he's, why is he eating my face? See, and this is why you got to talk to your kids about sex. Oh yeah. There's just tons of people running around eating each other's faces. <laughs> and I'm like, that's not sexy. It's not sexy. So I love it when our kids roll their eyes at us and we're like, you know what? We're doing it right. Because if you're rolling your eyes when we, you know, it's like, oh mom, I know it's sex, but I know we, I try to talk. I mean, my whole thing too, with a 17 year old is consent is at the beginning, in the middle and in the end. And if you're not sure that this is like, you need to like, be aware that consent is the whole way through the whole way through and make sure you know your own body. So when you get to be with someone, you know what you like. Oh, that's the conversation that totally freaks my kids out when I'm like, you need to be masturbating. You need to figure out your own body. Like you need to have <laughs> orgasms on your own before you think that this person is like God's gift to sex. Master. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you are sometimes Baiting. you are sometimes a 12 year old. No, I remember that that one night we were in the bougie room and it was like master baiting master. Oh my god, our children don't really like no. us, <laughs> but they're gonna thank us one day. Well, imagine what they're gonna do to their children, or imagine <laughs> the stories that they tell their therapists. Like I don't know, it's 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 an equal an equal crapshoot at this point. Yeah, there you go. Yep. I feel like we're a little off the rails, and maybe we should wrap this up. It's all connected. <laughs> you think so? Oh yeah. If anyone can actually follow our podcast, like they they need to, I don't know, just write and tell us what you think. You, you should write us at howtobequeerpodcast at gmail.com and tell us what you think. You can also email us at alex at 
how to be queer. Never email me. I will not read it. Um, Alex doesn't check just, her email. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> everything goes to Alex and then Alex sends it to me. Yeah. You can go to our website, how to be queer.com or how to be queer podcast at gmail.com. You can also contact Outfront Magazine to get in touch with us. Yes. And we love them. Outfront Magazine. O F M. Outfront Colorado outfrontmagazine.com. They have a Facebook page as well as a TikToks and Instagram. And the photos are so pretty. They're so beautiful. Yep. Okay, Alex. I'm so glad we're back. Me too. And somebody out there tell me about Tom Cruise and L. Ron Hubbard. Like I need to know. Tell us if the 3D princess face. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. That's it for this week. We love you. Thanks for listening. See you soon. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye.